0: What did we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Yes, sir. I'm
1: fucked if I know what we did. Yes, sir. It's uh, hard to say. It's Britney, bitch. And uh, Iraq everywhere, like such as. We sitting here, I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Out, Charlie! Out! Our next-door neighbors are foreign countries. I call upon all
0: nations to do everything they can to stop these terrorist killers. Thank you. you.
1: Now watch this drive.
0: So y'all are uh, are into season three of The Wire on your pod, eh? Yeah, we are. I was listening to... some of your season two episodes this morning i'm glad you're not a season two hater
1: no not at all i don't of the wire yeah oh yeah no
2: season two rules yeah i like season five matt season five rules too everyone's wrong about that really that is a hotter take i think yeah yeah. that season is about uh fake news Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's the season where they were like uh Hey, it's a TV show. We can do whatever the fuck we want. (laughs) (laughs) Why does everything have
3: to be boring? Yeah. Is that the season where the reporter makes up the story about
2: uh, the president having a PP tape? That's right. uh... (laughs) That's the season where the reporter decides to, in conjunction with the deep state, try to (laughs) dethrone the rightfully elected president. In the United States. (laughs) Carcetti. Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, enough exchanging pleasantries. Let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Remember Shuffle. My name is Ben. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jordano. Hello, hello. And today we are joined by Matt Lieb and Vince Mancini, two comedians and hosts of the very successful... Podcast podcasts including pod yourself a gun and pod yourself the wire which we are fans of and as david simon experts we thought we would bring them on to discuss 2008's generation kill an hbo miniseries dramatizing the forward most marine unit during the invasion of iraq and when i told people that we were doing this episode i almost always had to explain what generation <laughs> kill was yeah so no one knows it something a little different for us because we found that the perfect topic for our show ticks three boxes. It's something that you can make fun of a lot, something that people aren't actively thinking about, but if you bring it up, they remember. Mm. And stuff that is kind of time capsule. We try and avoid the the hack observation of like, oh, sure couldn't do that today, because you know, this just in <laughs> culture changes over time.
2: <laughs> but
0: something like Spike TV ticks all oh, yeah. three of those boxes because everyone yeah. as soon as you bring it up you're like oh yeah, yeah. wow that was yeah. wild and dumb there's that some, we did this it
2: was like TV for rapists it was like a whole a whole channel yeah. <laughs> people it's, were like finally something that I, you know represents us we used to
1: just <laughs> we used to just read Manser's segments like the title of them on the frotcast because they were mm. always so funny like can you fart so hard your balls explode that was an actual Manser segment
0: <laughs> well you can't can't leave me on the hook like that. Yeah, <laughs> what's, what's the answer?
1: I would I think, like to know. too I think it's more about the question being asked than the answer. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, but I, I think the know. journey is the no. destination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we read
3: through all of the. Uh awards for the like guy of the year or sorry no like what was the guy's choice awards Awards. Mm -hmm. and so all like the all the awards on that show were like the guy con the guy of the year the guy's guy alpha dog the guy's guy and it's like what is differentiating any of these categories and like iron man wins all of them so what's the point (laughs) of any of this
0: (laughs) giving out awards to fictional characters yeah insane
2: that is wild because it's it's tv for little boys but presented like adults watch it. That's Mm -hmm. kind of how the, the man TV culture of the time was. It was like the same thing with the man show, which felt like, you know, they were doing a super ironic take on women's programming. They're like, what would men's programming be? But then you watch it and you're like, is this for... Adult men or, like, li- little boys who are just like, yeah, their titties bounce and the guy <laughs> drinks the alcohol.
1: <laughs> I think cool. there was a lot of, in the odds. it was like culture was so depressing on a large scale that you sort of had to make yourself <laughs> stupid. Yes. To be able to live with it all. So there was a lot of, like, performative ironic stupidity. And, you know, sometimes the lines got blurred there, which I think is a big part of this show, actually, Generation Kill. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah.
2: In fact, it's hard to tell where the show... Not where the show is coming from, but where the characters are coming from because it is so steeped in that kind of irony era of everything, you know? Like, everyone is openly racist yes which i think is true that was a thing but the whole like ziggy sabatka character on the show (laughs) you're just like uh is he is though like racist, though he is, like, yeah, <laughs> or yeah, is he yeah. doing like a bit? It's yeah. hard to tell, yeah, but it's okay because they're all racist.
3: The, the Mexican right. guy is racist, yes, so, yes they yeah. definitely do that take, I think, a lot as the well.
0: They're racist brothers in arms, you right, know, right?
2: Exactly, yeah. exactly. They're racist, but what brings them all together other than that hatred of the lower races, is, is the fact that they're invading a country for fun. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, this is something a little bit new for us doing this Generation Kill thing, but I'm very excited to turn back to something co-created by David Simon because yeah. I think that he makes excellent TV, especially if your TV victory parameters are how do I make this drama as close to journalism as possible? Right. Yes, yes yeah yeah it's like books, the TV series. And right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So true for this show as well.
2: Yeah, I, I had seen it before, and when you guys asked me to do it, I was on this like, okay, I'm just going to rewatch all of David Simon show's kick. And I I'd rewatched it like a month before you guys asked, so it was kind of perfect. But then while I was rewatching it, I was like, I've definitely seen this, but... Uh, how come I don't remember any of this? <laughs> and then as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I know why it's because it's the same episode eight times in a row. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, that was my sort of take. Like I remember I watched it all when it came out and I think I was living with my old coworker, Matt Ufford, who's was a Marine tank commander in the Gulf war. So like, this was all pretty familiar to him and he would like know who characters were and shit like that. I mostly remembered it for that and not because of the show. Yeah. My main takeaway was like, hey, I'm going to read this book instead of watching the last seven episodes of this show that seems very repetitive. Yum. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, see, it's actually genius, because so much of being a Marine is actually about chronic boredom and confusion, and the show captures that.
1: No, I mean, I feel like that is, like, the main weakness of David Simon, is that he is realistic to a fault a lot of times, and, like, everything about this felt like it rang true in so many ways, but also, like... I don't know how many episodes there were in this. Seven, I think. Yeah, Yeah, like seven episodes of these dudes just being dudes uh, is a lot. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And, And, you know, in any kind of war show or war media in general, like whether it's a movie or a TV show, kind of the default hook for watching the show, like the tension is like, Who of my new favorite TV friends are going to die? And so you're watching the show kind of with that in mind. There's the tension of around every corner. There could be someone trying to kill one of my new friends. Mm -hmm. And in this show, after a while, you're like, can someone kill one of these guys? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like you start getting mad that the Iraqis didn't fight harder.
0: (laughs) Yes. We're going to talk about this later when we talk about mm-hmm. how it just captures the asymmetrical nature of like, oh, yeah. conflict. But like, yeah, man. Yeah. Check the scoreboard. Check the body count. This is re- David Simon realism once again. Like over the yes. course of eight hours, I think we see like four guys get injured.
2: Right. <laughs> and right. That's yeah. it. And like a lot of dead Iraqis, which is correct. That's what happened. That's what the war in Iraq was, was a fucking million dead Iraqis and like 10 guys who hurt hurted their arm. (laughs) (laughs) 10 American guys. Yeah. And we were kind of hoping
3: some of the wire magic would be inserted at some point, like at least the wire. It's realistic, but it also has, you know, a gay, yeah, whistling, drug drug dealer <laughs> yeah. uh, thief. Right. Yeah. And every time I watch David Simon shows, it does sometimes feel like, oh, this is the most important show on television. Right. Yeah. When I talk about the Deuce, I notice that where I'm like, oh, it's so good, but also I haven't finished it because I got bored. Oh,
1: I fucking love the Deuce. The, the Deuce, Deuce is like right, one of my all-time favorite shows. I think <laughs> I love. I like love I the said, Deuce. I
3: will say I love it, and I'll be yeah. like, it's so good, like it's so important. But you know, I just I haven't
1: finished it yet. I mean, there's but a I, lot I, of David Simon shows that are like that for me. I mean, I think it's harder to ask what if in a show about an actual <laughs> war. war, and yeah. I mean, you're gonna get like you're gonna get killed from all sides. Making the show at all Mm -hmm. And yeah I don't think there was A ton of room To be like what if there was like a really cool guy there? You know what I mean? Like you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't do the same things that you can do in a cop show, in the show about an invasion. Yeah. I feel like it would have been cool if they're like, what if there was some women around somewhere in the right. show? <laughs> but you, <laughs> you did, there weren't.
3: We both read the book, which is f- far better than the show. And I think does like a better job of explaining some of like the politics of the military. Right. Mm-hmm. But right. This is apparently the last unit of the entire... United States military that does not allow
2: women to join. Oh, is that right? It's a yeah. full on dude's I didn't rock see that.
0: unit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a dude's rock unit. The last holdout of dudes rocking in the uh, military.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's part of why it felt very realistic and familiar to me just as like a rugby player and like a meathead mm-hmm. in a lot of ways this is like every group of guys that i've been a part of and i think there's some things that stand out as ringing very true in this show like i can never buy into entourage because it was supposed to be the show about like male friendship but every show was them being like don't do that bro that's gay and right like, that is not how every group of guys I've ever no. been a part of function. Like Every group no. of guys I've been a part of is like, there's a ton of homoerotic shit. It's right. like nonstop <laughs> dick grabbing and fucking, yeah, like really homoerotic male friendships get homoerotic and it goes up exponentially. The more dudes that are involved in it. And right. I think if anything, this show very much nailed that.
2: The yeah. only difference between gayness and straight homoerotic male friendships is that The straight men laugh after they literally put each other's dicks in their mouths. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's all played for a joke, but you're like, this is... We're literally... We're sucking each other's dicks right now, bro. This is <laughs> No, but, like, just to get back to trying to watch the show and find some of the wire magic, some of it was there, at least some of the themes were. I thought that, like... Fuck the
1: bosses. That I mean, Fuck the, the bosses yeah. was, was big the big theme of, the theme of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm.
2: the fact that, like, the chain of command and the bosses' orders, which are completely divorced from reality on the ground, gets more people killed than these groups of racist fucking soldiers. I thought that was pretty the wire of the show to do that.
0: Yeah, the great thing about the wire is that even the cops are like, they're not good white hats, but they're like, they're trying.
1: They're people. Yeah,
0: they're people and they're trying. And it's the institutions that are bad and corrupted and
2: flawed. Right. And attract these kinds of people. The institutions are built to attract The type of cops that you see on the show, all of the Hercs and the carves and, you know, the ladder climbers and the fucking drunks in this show. It's like, yeah, this attracts a lot of fucking loser kids, poor kids, mostly, and a few like overprivileged rich kids who want to impress daddy and make Mm -hmm. rank. It's the same thing. It's like this is the the system itself, the institution yeah, attracts I, b- this kind but of But I think, shit.
1: yeah, I think what makes David Simon great is he doesn't. I mean, he he does harangue you about the institutions to some extent. But I feel like within that, he sort of finds the truth of like, yeah, you can get stuck working for a really bad lieutenant, or like every once in a while you get like one like one out of five. You're like, okay, you could see working for that guy. And in this, it's very much like a story of good officers and and shitty ones, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. intention has nothing to do with it either. Like, uh, what's the main Boy Scouty sort uh, of Lieutenant Fick? Fic? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. This guy has the best of intentions, but he just is not fit to really be a leader, mm-hmm. and he's not that smart. And then you got your really shitty ones, like the mustache guy who's like souvenir hunting the whole time. Captain America. Captain America, yeah. Yeah, it's like a nice little spectrum of competence and incompetence.
2: Yeah, and Captain America is another one where you're like, okay, so I guess the show isn't about all these soldiers getting killed and, you know, shot in slow motion and people crying. Maybe it's about them all teaming up together to fucking frag Captain America oh,
0: if only
2: uh, yeah and then w- w- when that isn't what the show is you're just like uh, wh- what am I what is it wh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. why am I watching this? <laughs> it's very much David Simon does have a little George Costanza in him where he's like I've made multiple shows about nothing. <laughs> and when you ask, why am I watching this? It's because it's on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much binge this.
0: I started watching it years ago and couldn't get through it. And yeah. I like watched all seven episodes, all eight hours of it, and it. It put me in a bad mood. It put me in yeah. a funk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. It's, it's very bleak. Yeah, yeah. So let's so let's get into the description of the show. Because like we said, I doubt that anyone sees this. And if you have, you might not actually remember it that well. Mm-hmm. So uh, Generation Kill is an HBO adaptation of a book by Edgar Wright, who is a journalist for Rolling Stone, who is embedded with the first reconnaissance oh, sorry, of the Evan, U.S. Right? Marine Corps. Yeah,
0: sorry, I got to correct you. That's me. <laughs>
3: sorry, Evan Wright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I was going to say Edgar Wright. <laughs> that that
0: would be a pretty awesome movie. Pretty the Sean of the Dead treatment to Generation <laughs> <Yeah>. Kill. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and yeah, he was the only reporter brave, stupid, crazy enough to embed with this unit, which was driving Humvees far beyond enemy lines, something like 40 miles ahead of the next closest U.S. forces.
2: And he's a character in the show, which I love, because he didn't make himself the centerpiece. He just kind of yeah. made himself the... Pussy loser whose whose photo of his girlfriend gets jacked off on. (laughs) It's stuff like that where David Salmon really shines is... Everyone is flawed in some ways, and even the guy who, like, wrote the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. His character sucks.
0: The Marines don't even respect him enough to call him by name. In the entire series, they call him either Reporter or Rolling Stone. Just contempt.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty great. They only show a little bit of respect once they found out that he wrote for Hustler. Yes. 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 That's when they trust him.
0: And one of the major differences between the book and the series that the book gets across, as the title implies... It's half a character study of what kind of person enlists in the military in 2003. And those yeah. are the most interesting parts of the book, because in the highly advanced and precise science of generationology, you know, these are <laughs> young Gen Xers and the oldest millennials who are yeah. enlisting. So Evan Wright's talking about how much they play video games and how these guys don't believe in the patriotic nonsense. And like many of them see joining this elite unit just as a personal challenge. And they right. saw the ad with the fire dragon or whatever and the right. night, the Marine. And they were like, I'm going to go reject comfort and be hard. And half of these guys have contempt for. For the american lifestyle that they're like allegedly defending
2: right and christianity is not as much uh like i think at the time we would have said uh oh man you know all these like soldiers or these christian white nationalists you know whatever and it's like no you have to remember that most of these are like black pilled, believe in nothing (laughs) gen xers older millennials Mm -hmm. who their whole culture is based on what tv shows they like and what music they were drawn to in middle school which is an even scarier ideological foe in my opinion if you're especially if you're an Iraqi you know <laughs> yeah. you're just like these guys fucking believe in nothing and their favorite music is rap rock (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they're gonna bring democracy bro (laughs) yeah
3: they talk about south park way more than they do about christianity right right the real life ziggy sabatka character was like a singer in a rap rock group that once opened for
2: limp biscuit limp biscuit that's right that's right yeah yeah Yeah, he mentions that (laughs) yeah ziggy was the that character is the one i related to the most i think because he's one of those uh, unlike vince vince you are genetically predisposed to fitting in with the meatheads they look at you (laughs) and they're like oh you're one of us yeah and with me i look at that ziggy character and you're like everyone needs the little skinny loser clown in their (laughs) group of meatheads and so all he does is crack jokes and shit the whole time and that's how he, he bonds. Uh, so yeah, that, that would have been me.
3: In hockey, referred refer to that as a locker room guy. You know, he's, he's yeah. there for morale. Yeah. He jokes around yes. a lot. He keeps everybody's spirit up.
0: And yeah, the Alexander Skarsgård character says he's the best damn radio operator out there. That's why <laughs> yeah. they tolerate it. You never yeah, see him do best. that, but apparently this man is just a maestro with the radio. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And can we talk about that character a little bit? I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, but the, uh, the scars, which Skarsgård Is he Alexander? It's Alexander. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Very clearly not an American guy. Uh, (laughs)
2: That's
1: not what I'm talking about.
2: If it's too hard or too soft, something's not right. It's just one of those casting decisions where it's like, uh, listen, I get that HBO has some sort of contract with all Scars guards (laughs) where they're like, you have to be in our content. But (laughs) come on, (laughs) like his character is so confusing because you find out that he is Jewish and was adopted into a Jewish family. And at first you think that's like a joke that they're doing. I guess a Marine priest, which is a position, I suppose (laughs) shows up and is like, who wants to pray with me? And they're like, Oh, I can't. And they say that he's Jewish and it wouldn't be right or something. And you think that's a joke. And it turns out, no, that's actually a real thing. And then the actor has this like, clearly a fucking swedish accent or some (laughs) shit and he's just like i love america
1: (laughs) and you're like i mean that's at least that's one area where i'm like oh i'm glad that we get this injection of a little movie magic in this show yeah i will suspend disbelief to have alexander skarsgård be in the show because i'm like oh I'm glad this guy is here. Yeah. Because you know, I like watching him. He's Omar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's true. Yeah. That's the closest we get to Omar is the blonde haired, blue eyed Jewish adoptee who's clearly (laughs) from Norway or
0: whatever. (laughs) And who is just the most competent person, right? His his nickname is Iceman because he's just perfect.
2: He is an interesting character, too, because you're kind of torn between him and uh, was it Fick, the the other lieutenant or whatever? The Boy
0: Scout. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You're not sure who's your main character, who's the guy you're supposed to be following or whatnot. And uh, it switches between those two guys as Fick tries to not piss off the bosses eventually. And Mm -hmm. the Iceman is... I don't know. It's it's.
0: He thinks he's a bird at one point. He, he, he plays <laughs> yeah. Like a, yeah. They're
3: the perfect two. Protagonist for the show because Iceman Is the highest ranking enlisted Person and then Fick is The lowest ranking officer Officer, And so they both have different Pressures on them and we get to see How each of them bends towards these Pressures and Fick is much more Subject to the whims of the officers And he's like you said the Boy Scout he's Now in the Joe Brandon Administration what he's he's (laughs) Our ambassador for cybersecurity.
1: Yeah but I think that is one of the good Things about the show is The conflict between those two there's no moral dimension to it at all really they're both morally neutral neither of them are big time heroes or villains they're mostly good intention but they're still dealing with the realities but the really the tension is just like oh one of them's competent and then the other one is just not and that's true to most jobs that i've had i feel like (laughs) right yeah and i love the fucking some of the casting
2: in this you know you wonder if it's like the wire where they're like did they get a real army guy Mm-hmm. or a marine guy because the guy who plays I don't know scruffy voiced whatever the fucking, yeah. You know, the fucking yeah, yeah. godfather oh. yeah godfather yeah I know he's an actor because he looks like someone I've seen before but I'm just like this is a perfect role for him this is yeah. so good <laughs> and Yeah, I found that character to be the funniest and I wish there was more of him because he was so clearly representing the like idiot boss who uh, is
0: a striver, not just an idiot, but a striver.
2: (laughs) All he gives a shit about is just like. Mattis is in love with us.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, Mattis patted me on the head, said I was a good boy. <laughs> like that, That shit is wonderful. Anything where they were just the people trying to please the bosses by putting every human being around them in danger. I was like, <laughs> this I like. This... I'm for. Yeah, they need to be as aggressive as
3: possible to impress Mattis. Mattis right. has recently fired a colonel for not being aggressive enough. And so right. even after their mission is over and they are all pretty excited to go home, this reconnaissance unit is going to become the shock troops of right. a battle in Baghdad because it will impress
2: Daddy Mattis. Yes. They're aggressive. Yeah. It's pretty fucking insane. And the good thing about David Simon's shows is you know, it's based on what actually happened. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take too many liberties, so you know, to a fault, really. Yeah.
0: And that's actually one area where I'm kind of surprised that he made this then. And this is like the last thing I'll say in terms of the context before we like mm-hmm. really get into the meat and potatoes of it, I guess. But he makes this in 2008. The war yeah. happens in 2003. If you make the yeah. comparison to Vietnam, America's last major war, L, <laughs> and the movies around it. Yeah. Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, they're all in the late 70s or 80s. They got a little bit of distance before they started adapting. And I know by 2008... yeah, the die was cast. We knew how this thing more or less was going to end. And it wasn't going to be well. But mm-hmm. John McCain in the 2008 election was talking about keeping Americans in Iraq for 100 years. This this was still an ongoing thing. And David Simon's like, I'm calling my shot. I'm making my Iraq War miniseries drama.
2: You know, what's interesting, though, about the, the length of time between the start of the war and how long before people started going, hey, this seems bad. It's different with the Iraq war cuz I was I was listening to uh, some early 2000s music the other day and I uh <laughs> was listening to BYOB by System of a Down. Hell yeah. And it is 2005 when that came out, 2 years after we invaded Iraq and it's a whole song about like why do we always send the poor to invade countries and stuff. And American Idiot, I think came around at mm-hmm. the same time. I think that the cultural tide turned relatively quickly when
1: it came to critiques of the Iraq War. Yeah, but that's genre dependent, too. Cause sure, of what, course. At what point did Toby Keith try to get the, the Dixie, Dixie Chicks, Chicks. canceled? Like yeah. You couldn't say anything if you were in country music. If you were doing yes. punk or metal, it was a little bit different because people were used to that right. being an anti-authoritarian genre, whereas goddamn country, like they've ruined, they've basically ruined country as a genre because it is so just truck commercials at this point. <laughs> but yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that you can have punk or metal stand in for the broader culture because I think that's key to this show and the mm-hmm. book is that the critique could only be go so far in right. both of them, I feel like.
2: Yes, I agree with that. But I think it's what I find kind of interesting is I remember I was around during that time. Uh, we all were, right? Mm-hmm. You guys are... Mm-hmm. Okay, but we're then, all old. Yeah. Good. Thank God. And I remember thinking when American Idiot came out and BYOB feeling kind of cringy about them because I thought they were late to the game. Mm. Sure. Uh, uh, and so I, I, I guess it's... I don't know. For me personally, I I look at like the way that we treated the Iraq war versus the way we treated the Vietnam war is like such apples and oranges because culturally we were so already polarized Mm -hmm. that if you were thinking Bush was lying about WMD's fucking while the war was going on like you were already a separate part of like you were part of fake America mm-hmm. and and everyone else in real America supported the war in Iraq until like 2008 i yeah. believe i think
0: i think also we like by the 2000s everyone was just a lot more resigned about american military involvement places right there was yeah. some protesting in the lead up to the invasion and then everyone oh, yeah. went home like yeah, okay, we're guessing, I guess we're doing
2: this, you know? Yeah. Right,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: I just wanted people to know that I was against it. And so we... And
1: then, then yeah, the 2004 election happened, and it was sort of just like, well, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Guess we're doing this. That's what I mean about like all these characters in this show just being sort of performatively stupid. Because I feel like that was the broader culture at, at that time. Like yeah. you, like you either had to be like willfully performatively like ironically stupid or just angry all the time.
0: Yeah, one of our guests that we had on the show one time said, "When you get, start getting into real punk music, this guy described the feeling as exhausting because it sounds like someone's just yelling at Fox News." <laughs> This is something, yeah. like, you know, I'm, try- I'm trying to have a good time. But actually, yeah, that's a great transition. Let's talk about some of our heroes, some of our first recon Marine guys, because like I said, the book is so much about digging into who these are. And I'm just going to say one thing for the record. We need to stop making war movies in general because everyone has the same haircut. Everyone has yeah. the same uniform. Yeah. Everyone has yeah. the same stupid blockhead face. Yes. Maybe Give I need them to do an implicit bias test, but all these white guys look the same to me. I don't know. Yes.
2: Yeah. Impossible to follow, especially like in a David Simon show Mm -hmm. where everyone is just like fucking picked out of a lineup of bland people. (laughs) And you're just like, I I don't know. People are saying people's names, but I don't know which lieutenant is Crutchfield and which (laughs) lieutenant is Dobbs or whatever the fuck. So it's like, yeah, this show you're watching and it is impossible to tell some people apart.
0: Yeah, and the only ones that really stick out, I mean, there's Ziggy Sabatka, whom mm-hmm. viewers will know from The Wire, who plays virtually the same character.
1: Yes, he's the <laughs> exact same guy. <laughs> Lieutenant
0: Ziggy. He's trying or to get a <laughs> laugh out of people. Ziggy. He's always pushing the envelope. This is where some of the show's humor comes from. Yeah. We've already talked about Iceman, our Swedish Jew from South Carolina.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah.
0: A character that I really like is... The Aspara character, the one who's always talking about how he's Native American and Hispanic and white. Oh
2: yeah. yes, 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 yes. The the brown white supremacist. Yes, exactly. He's yeah. <laughs> he has a very
3: confusing ideology throughout the entire show. It seems yes. to change quite a bit.
2: But every now and then,
0: he is based. In terms of him thinking that the war is wrong. And then other times he's based in the
2: wrong way. (laughs) Yeah. He, I think, is the most interesting time capsule character. Because Mm -hmm. to look at him now as a character, I don't think you would come away with the same thing that you would look at him at the time. Because now I look at him and I see him as a kind of critique of the tent of whiteness and the way that, whiteness works in America in opposition to blackness and how this Latino guy can join the Marines and be like, this is how I gain entry into whiteness. And I become Mm -hmm. the oppressor rather than the oppressed. Mm -hmm. I don't actually think that was the point of the character when it was written. I think the point of the character was more so to play the role of The brown guy who is going to occasionally tell people that we're the bad guys, Mm -hmm. which is an interesting character and also an ironic 2008 era time capsule
1: type Mm -hmm. of character. Like a lot of ironic racism. Yeah. There would be so much more moral signaling in this show if it was made today to the point that it would be very unrealistic to that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One of my favorite characters in that he's played by the real guy is Rudy Ray's. If you want to talk about a homoeroticism,
3: Fruity Rudy. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only guy who is so handsome that they didn't get
1: an actor to play him. He actually played himself in the series. Fruity Rudy. He played himself. He's an actual martial arts instructor. And Marine, who ran the boot camps that taught the actors how to be Marines.
2: Oh, is he the one who's he was like the gay Marine? Was yes. he actually gay?
3: Uh, he's no. not actually gay. He's he's just into his looks,
1: and so everybody called him gay.
0: Wait, hold on, oh. hold on. I can use a word from the time. He's a metrosexual.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Reyes wrote the book "Hero Living: Seven Strides to Awaken Your Infinite Power," two thousand nine. <laughs> uh, He's a conservationist, martial arts instructor, and actor. So he's got a lot of irons in the fire.
0: Yeah, he's conservationist. the guy who yeah. in the war zone is constantly talking about Dharma and Eastern spirituality right. and whatnot.
2: Right, 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 right. Yeah. I vaguely remember this character being just, there was like, it was like the hot guy, and everyone was just calling him hot.
1: He was what an anti vaxxer used to be before it became like <laughs> politicized. When it was yes. mostly just like you are, you are too exercise pilled to uh, <laughs> exist in um, on the internet. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, in mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> in mainstream yeah, he, spaces, yeah, yeah,
3: he actually says he wants to go back to living in San Francisco because it's the only place that there's no fat people. That's the only <laughs> place he feels comfortable.
2: That's right. Yeah, that was in the show. He says this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I remember that line and thinking to myself, I know a lot of fat people <laughs> in San Francisco.
1: He's going to be greatly <laughs> disappointed. <laughs> Maybe it was true in 2004. I don't. I don't know. I wasn't there in 2004. Mm, that's true. I, I could be wrong. In 2006, wrong. it was not true but yeah yeah i don't know
2: it was a tough two years for everybody we made note of it everywhere we go me and vince would be like look at all these fucking i moved here after
3: i saw generation kill and i heard there was no fad people and now here they are and now i'm looking right at you i'm
2: just like looking at a guy (laughs) telling him this you're ruining it for me
3: yes
0: that's the demographic that's ruining the city of San Francisco. Not the tech bros, not the, you know. like, thousands of millionaires. Yep. It's, it's the... The too fat many,
1: people. Too many fatties, yeah. I <laughs> People's BMI flashes above their heads whenever I see them. It's just a, it's a reflex yeah. that I Terminator
0: do. vision, but just, yeah. like, exercise yeah. stats. <laughs>
1: just feeling all mad and resentful. Like, why
2: did I buy this no-fat-chick shirt if they're not going <laughs> to listen? What the
3: fuck? Uh, let's next get into some of the most hateable characters yeah. of the show. Some mm. of the people that I thought... Added some of the most humor in some ways, if it wasn't so bleak. First off, we have Captain America, which mm-hmm. I kind of think of as, imagine Fargus from Super Troopers, but mm-hmm. if he was a captain, yeah. right? So it's like someone who is annoying and incompetent, but unlike Fargus, instead of being able to bully him, he's now in charge of a dozen people and gets to control the life and death of prisoners yeah. of war and things like that.
1: And I feel like that should be relatable to anyone who's ever had a corporate job. Is like yes. You are constantly working with people who are comically incompetent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in this case, he
2: was a Nepo baby, too. Yep. He he was protected because his uncle was a colonel or some shit. He's the Prez of...
1: I mean, before (laughs) Prez (laughs) like face turn.
2: And yeah, to me, that character was so good. All the interactions with that character were so good that, again... I wish they had focused (laughs) on someone rather than doing the kind of David Simon thing of the multiple storylines at once. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm interested in a character like that. I would like for more things to happen, but... Yeah, I thought that was a great character, and I was really disappointed that it didn't go the way of, like, let's Pat Tillman his ass.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got an episode on Pat Tillman in the works. I don't know how much comedy we could wring from the Pat Tillman murder, but we're going to (laughs) try.
3: Captain America is the focus of the ending of this show. The Rolling Stone journalist approaches Godfather and says, Mm -hmm. you have a problem in this unit. And Godfather is like... Well, he's aggressive, so I don't care. He has the right ideology for the unit, which is that Mm -hmm. the more trigger-happy you are, the less likely your own troops are to die. And that's ultimately what I think is most important. Yeah, right.
0: Insane. And he says, like, what, am I supposed to just listen to every complaint about every officer I have? You know, they're doing it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. It's so perfectly (laughs) calibrated to make the audience hate him, because... When you first see him, he treats war like a fucking tourist, right? He's collecting souvenirs. He's collecting AKs. (laughs) He's collecting guns. He takes the beret off of a corpse and he's like, oh, I was hoping it'd be red, but it's black. And you're like, oh, you fucking scavenger ass vulture. You hate him. Then the bullets start
2: flying and he's a pussy, too. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He's the perfect sissy with a gun character because he is both. Puffing his chest out all the time, and as soon as things get a little too quiet, he shits his pants. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's the one who's constantly on the radio going like, We're in a kill zone! We're in a kill zone! (laughs) Like, his character was the funniest to me. Multiple times, he does bayonet charges Mm -hmm. in this show. And that's insane on its face, just the idea of doing a bayonet (laughs) charge in a modern war. (laughs) And one time, he nearly... He would have killed a guy if I don't know he he missed somehow. Yeah, mm-hmm. he hit
3: the guy's ammunition burn instead of right, stabbing yeah. him correctly. He charged a prisoner that was handcuffed.
2: Yes, and... with a bayonet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: and then afterwards was like, I thought he was attacking you.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that character I thought was just an interesting guy to watch because he's such a specific brand of insane. Yeah, I need someone who's a little bit out there to watch and not the constant like i'm just a person Mm -hmm. i did yeah i know you're just a most people are just people give me a weird guy
1: yeah he did make me feel like oh man i feel like i would be the souvenirs guy if i was in the war (laughs) because i would see all that shit and i'd be like ooh, look at those i I feel like i'm gonna want these trinkets you know there's all all these little interesting things hateable character what's the name of the fucking the
2: sociopath uh trombley trombley Trombley. yes Yes. Trombley. He's a different
3: type of sociopath because he's unnerved by the war when people are shooting at him. They call him Junior Whopper yeah, because right. Burger King. BK, baby killer. Right.
0: (laughs) I love it. It's beautiful. It's like Cockney rhyming slang.
3: Yeah, it is Cockney, essentially. Because he literally kills a child in the show. Right. And he's quite unbothered by it.
2: Yeah, he's unbothered by most of the murder he does. You know, the first half of the show, or maybe the first few episodes, is everyone just complaining that they have yet to kill somebody, Mm -hmm. which I thought must be pretty realistic, because why else would all these fucking Limp biscuit fans go to Iraq? It's because they're there to break Everything stuff. sucks. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those days where you don't get to kill a baby. Yeah,
3: yeah if listeners, if you want a show where people complain a lot, boy, do I have a recommendation for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, because then they, they not only complain about not getting to murder people, but this unit specifically, it's like the Navy SEALs of the Marines. They're a recon right. unit who's supposed to like paratroop behind enemy lines they're supposed to be sneaky and quiet and fuck shit up behind there but because of politicking up in the brass they're instead used as shock troops and every episode it seems like they say we shouldn't be in busted up humvees doing exactly this we're recon the swede at one point he's like i am a finely tuned ferrari in a demolition derby this guy yeah. calls himself a hunter-killer. I have a warrior's yeah. ethos. All of that, I'm sure it's 1,000% realistic. Oh, uh, 100%, yeah.
2: yeah. These are the kinds of guys who come back from Iraq, and then they just tell their entire CSGO clan about how many people they killed as a sniper. These are the people who their entire thing is presenting themselves as, I might be quiet, but I'm just a humble murderer. <laughs> <laughs> they are... The meme of the guy at the party who's standing in the corner (laughs) going like, haha, these idiots
1: don't know that I killed three babies. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, the real Trombley ran for... A state representative In Texas And he, he lost In a primary Joking, yeah, it's, it's too bad You so, think people but, Would have just brought up Like oh Weren't you that weirdo <laughs> Weren't you the baby killer In Generation <laughs> Kill yeah. uh, Well he
2: lucked out And no one Fucking saw Generation <laughs> Kill Yeah
1: <laughs> Guy had to go Like four articles deep To be sure It was the same guy Yeah Because uh, none of them Mentioned that
3: The last piece of shit that we should bring up on the show, who probably gave me the most laughs, was Mish, the translator that's in their unit, the Iraqi translator, who is just so hilariously self-serving. Yes. Any opportunity he can to take from the refugees, he will. He basically translates every message the same. They'll be like, what did he say? And Mish will be like, he says that he loves America and that he loves George Bush and that you guys are
2: liberators. Yeah, thank you for the freedom and and whatnot. <laughs> and one of them just straight up says to him, "Listen, I understand that you got orders from above, like psyops, to translate everyone as saying that they're happy to be liberated, but you have to you have to tell us what they're actually saying because people are dying." Might around. Die, yeah, yeah, that character is both hilarious and extremely frustrating. And frustrating because of the multiple times where, like, as a you know, new dad obviously shit hits a little bit different with all the dead kids Hmm. and so that was the one character I found myself wanting to strangle because I was like bro you need to fucking there's like babies who are dying right now bro so that one was that one was killing me a little bit
3: yeah when the kid dies, when Charlie shoots the kid and they're asking him like what can we do and he goes oh don't worry about it Iraqis don't grieve like Americans do yeah
0: right yeah
2: yeah, like, like the, that yeah, shit. The, the
0: father's mm. clearly just in shock and he's like, Oh yeah, we're just we're just different over here.
2: Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. He's already over it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I have one last niche thing I wanna say. I have a niche okay, yeah. theory. Because uh-huh. David Simon's such a journalist, I think this mm-hmm. is a reference to like all real media heads who really uh-huh. know their Iraq War well. They know that there were these, you know, Iraqi exiles like Ahmed Chalabi who are right. feeding all of this bad intel to the American state. And I think this yes. might be a, like, a little subtle uh... reference to like the Iraqis who didn't even grow up in Iraq telling the Americans what they want to hear about this mm-hmm. place in incredibly self-serving means.
2: Oh, interesting. Because they do have that scene where he, he takes the journalists to some mosque and he talks to the imam and you're like, oh, there's something going on.
3: So yeah, just quick question before we leave the characters Which Sopranos character would be most likely to end up in first recon? I was thinking maybe Muscles Marinara The guy oh, that Tony beats sure. up to, uh, to establish sure. dominance
2: <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure hmm. Part of me wants to like the obvious answer is to go AJ But I honestly, no. AJ is, he, he was not making it out of boot camp, you know?
1: Never had what it took to be a, no. he, Yeah, to be a varsity Yeah, I was thinking maybe <laughs> Jackie Aprile But even him, like, I don't see him Showing up on time for anything for that consistent a period to uh, be a part of this. Chris's friend, Brendan, Brandon cleaning Ballone. up his act, okay. cleans up
2: his act, stops smoking meth for just long enough to uh, to notice that 9-11 happened <laughs> and then immediately enlists I could see him joining that. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Noah Tannenbaum, he could have... <laughs> <laughs> yes, he would have been
3: sort of a fixed style character. Yeah, yes. for sure. So, yeah, moving on to our thematic analysis of the entire show. We've already talked about this a little bit, but I think one of the things that David Simon was trying to drive home is that... You know, this is the support the troops era. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the thing that everybody could say about the war, I guess. It's like, hey, listen, say what you want about the war, but you got to support the troops. You got to support the troops. And when you talk bad about the war, you're not supporting the troops. And this was a very soldier's good, officer's bad show. It, like you said, in a similar way to the wire, you know the problem is the institutions, not the soldiers, n- not the cops. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think sort of. I, 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 for me, watching it, they definitely are focusing on like, yeah, this is a group of idiots, but these idiots are being led around by these fucking morons. Yeah, who or uh, monsters, or not monsters. just like morons,
0: but like bad people <laughs> who treat right human life so cavalierly.
2: Right. At the same time, I feel like, and I feel the same way about The Wire, in no way does the show make any of these soldiers out to be heroes, Mm -hmm. which is, especially for the time that it came out, I think is almost akin to saying they are also the problem. So I give a, a little bit more credit. It's the same thing with The Wire, where, yeah, for sure, The Wire does show cops, like who are just trying to do some good, but it also shows them being casual pieces of shit, like casually Mm. sociopathic. Because the job...
1: The job requires casual sociopathy. Yes, exactly.
2: Like sacrificing your entire family (laughs) in order to lock up this black guy who drew a picture of you once in court. (laughs) (laughs) That is fucking McNulty's whole thing. And you can see it as, oh, well he's just a cop trying to do his job but you can also see it as like he's a fucking psycho piece of shit so i mm-hmm. i lean more on a lot of these people are not not good people like i wouldn't mm-hmm. hang out with most of the people in in sure but but i think it's also it's also
1: honest about the fact that most of us kind of are pieces of shit right you know like especially in a situation that some of these people are in it's like oh you think you would be the good one you think you're gonna go in there and change the whole system by just being a little better like you you wouldn't for sure right yeah
0: and i i think the most troop worshipy moment and I, i i do agree with you Mm-hmm. It's not valorizing or heroizing the grunts a ton. It definitely says right. the bosses are monsters. These guys are pretty fucked up. I and mean, the title's Generation Kill, of course. But right. I think the one, the moment where they screen the film at the end, and I was thinking of maybe closing with this, but the scene where they're yeah. all watching themselves do soldiering, and first they're all oorah and filled with piss and vinegar and cheering themselves on as they watch themselves do war, and then they can't watch themselves do war. I think that is the moment where they're kind of like, Look at what they put themselves through, you know? Look at their trauma. You know, the the shoot and cry kind of film.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that for sure, though, is... That is wish fulfillment on David Simon's part. That's what that shit is. Because you know they still watch those videos Mm -hmm. and show their friends those videos. You know what I mean? That is him being like, okay, it's a TV show. We got to have an ending where they're like, maybe I learned something. Maybe Mm -hmm. I have arc. Mm -hmm. But yes, I agree that that is... A little bit supporting the
1: Troopsy. I mean, you have to understand it comes from a memoir from a journalist who was embedded. Mm -hmm. No matter how independent minded you are, if you're writing that book, you're not going to immediately fuck over everyone who kept you alive for however long. And yeah. And, you know, we all make friends with people that we don't think are good people Mm -hmm. necessarily. But I'm sure he was naturally going to soft pedal some things that people said and things that happened just because everybody gets a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that
0: this plot line of those damned officers, it only happens in wars where America takes an L. It's Vietnam movies. And then it's, of course, as Chapa loves to call it, the cousins war of World War One, fighting to see which (laughs) European cousin gets to run the place. That's where you have all these stories about like this officer class. They're quite literally a different economic class than you. They treat your life as worthless as a plaything. Mm. I want to see a World War II movie with monster officers. I want to see one of America's good yeah. wars where we still get monster officers.
1: There was some yeah. of that in Fury. Like, I mean, it wasn't like a great movie necessarily. And it was definitely one of the darker World War II movies that I've seen, though. Because it came yeah. from David Ayer from Training Day and had Shia LaBeouf in it. I love
2: that Shia LaBeouf, it was one of those movies it was like pre him getting low key canceled or whatever. And people were like, he puts on an acting clinic and I watched it and it's just like, no, he just looks psycho. That's just what <laughs> I yeah. let him being psycho is my favorite Lebouf. <laughs> <laughs> I need, need more psycho Labouf in my life. In fact, I watched don't worry, darling. And I w- was like, fuck, he would have been perfect for this role. Right? Harry yeah. Styles did yeah. not work. No. And yeah. he would have crushed it. It would have been so good because he's so, he's
1: got so much psycho. He does. Have you watched Honey Boy yet? I mean, he's playing his own dad. It helps you understand Shia LaBeouf because you're like, oh yeah, this guy had like a really fucked up life. His yeah. dad was like a carny who became his manager or like his yeah. chaperone, basically. He that made guy. me
2: do even Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do even Stevens.
0: Man, I am not as well-versed in the Shia LaBeouf verse as y'all are. Oh, I the, just...
3: the LaBeouf verse is vast and beautiful. <laughs> we'll, we'll do an episode on what Even Stevens had to say about the Iraq War. You a know, lot. Beans was the whistleblower that we needed. Uh... <laughs> so, Ben, let's get into our second theme here. Do you want to tee it up? Yeah, I guess. Actually, I'm,
0: I'm going to call it a little bit of an audible here, but this is something we were wondering. The plot of World War Two movies, it always seems, like, kind of tactical. It's like, we need to win D-Day. Right. We need to save Private Ryan. It's almost like a video game. There's a goal that you mm-hmm. need to do. We need to kill Hitler in *Inglorious Bastards.
2: Right, right, right. And
0: then Vietnam is this very personal study of, like... I'm in the jungle, I'm going upriver, I'm going out of my mind in Apocalypse Now, in this meaningless war that I've been lied into, and my faith in institutions have been shaken. Right. What do you think is, like, the quintessential Iraq War movie or miniseries thing? I'll say what I think is every one of these is wrapped up in just the lib criticism of Mm. they lied about the WMDs, right? Right, right, right. We got them on that. It's never... A general anti war message. Rarely right. is it an anti war message. It's rarely yeah. no war but class war.
2: It's like we went to war for the wrong reasons. Exactly. If we're going to kill a million Iraqis. You better not do lies. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's wrong.
0: And I feel like you get this in a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Something like The Green Zone is about that. Matt Damon looking for the WMDs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Hurt Locker is going to be... That's like more of like a personal thing, looking into like a PTSD or whatever. But yeah, what do you think is the general vibe of an iraq war film compared to other war movies
1: they're generally about people that aren't there because they wanted to do war stuff you know what i mean i think it's similar to the vietnam movies where it is very much like a personal thing Mm -hmm. Um, only it's a different type of person because it's not a war with a draft. So the people that were right. there, they did want to do it at some it point. was a volu- volunteer army. And yeah. then something changed. And uh, I don't know. My favorite two are probably Jarhead and Three Kings. Which, mm. I mean, Three Kings is almost like a heist movie that's set in the backdrop of the iraq war i I liked jarhead a lot i think that's the first gulf war though so it is is,
2: yeah i think both of those are first gulf war movies trying to think of what are the other war on terror iraq war movies because i think of yeah the hurt locker or like zero dark 30 deep state propaganda (laughs) right and so it's like most of them feel like cia movies Mm -hmm. and so i think what sets this show apart from uh, I mean I again I can't think of any other what are the other like uh, war in Iraq movies that's
0: exactly the point that we're building towards we wanted to forget Iraq so we stopped making movies about it
1: I mean there are a few but You had to sort of come at it at an angle. You know, you had like The Kingdom, which I actually Uh think is Peter Berg's best movie, even though he became very much the ultimate uniform worshiper, (laughs) military groupie. But I don't think he was necessarily when he made that. And then Syriana, you know, like there were sort of war on terrorism movies, but there's not a ton of like, it's directly about Iraq. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I think like thematically... Okay, World War II movies are about how America was good and freed the world. Vietnam movies are about how, like, Credence has got a lot of good songs. Yes. (laughs) And war in Iraq media, at least for the first Gulf War, is about how people were just begging for a reason to have a war. And it's about how once placed in a position to do war stuff, they realize that, like,
1: man, these reasons aren't good enough. (laughs) And we're sad about it. But a lot of the more popular ones were like, man, these reasons weren't good enough. But wasn't this one guy, like, pretty badass? Right, right, right. Like, your lone survivor, your American sniper. Right, exactly.
2: And they're about how a good person, a good soldier, will follow orders even if he knows they're wrong because... You know, it's always tied into God and faith and blah, blah, blah. Duty blah, blah,
0: blah. and yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And so this show was more so about how like, yeah, a bunch of fucking losers who volunteered after nine eleven were... Basically complaining the whole time and masturbating as much as they could. And I think that is probably closer to the truth of what the Iraq war was. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably one of the reasons you don't see a lot of Iraq war media because people are they don't know how to frame that narratively where you learn anything at the end. Yeah. There's no moral yeah. to the story. You learn,
1: uh, you learn, what do we learn? Uh, I guess we learn not to uh, right. do it again. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. What you, you learn is
0: that that stupid British sketch, are we the baddies? Like, that's right. what yeah. you're yeah. supposed to learn.
2: Yeah, you learn that we are the baddies. And if you're super lib-pilled, if you're West Wing-pilled, mm-hmm. then you learn that, oh, well, you know, the, the Republicans wanted us to go to war. They lied us into a war, and Mm -hmm. we've learned from that. I'm not
0: anti-war. I'm anti-this war.
2: (laughs) Right, exactly. And now all of our wars will be just. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so there is no overall moral to the story other than don't do it again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that that's why this one is, I think, the best one. Yeah. This portrayal of these, like, fucked up, the the generation kill of the title.
2: It's the most honest version of it. It'll make you
1: feel bad. It'll make your tummy hurt
0: when you watch it. Which is a great segue. This show is so good at stressing the lopsided nature of this thing. Oh, yeah. We did one episode on Iraq War cheerleaders, a couple of op-ed writers who talked Mm. about how cheap and quick and great this thing would be.
1: Who are all richer now somehow. Weird how that works out. Yeah,
2: right?
1: Joe Scarborough,
2: the
3: highest paid
1: person at MSNBC. How are they all still
2: in public? Yeah, how how do they show (laughs) their faces? How do they do that? It's fucking incredible. Uh,
3: yeah, no, Morning Joe. That's who we want to start the day off with. You know, the guy who convinced <laughs> us to go
2: to Iraq. Fucking <laughs> insane.
3: But yeah, four American Marines get injured,
0: and just countless Iraqi civilians get leveled in this mini series. It really shows right. you the buzz saw that America brought to Iraq. And yeah. even when our guys try to limit civilian casualties, that's not yeah. what they do. That's not what they're trained for. When all you have is a hammer, every problem's a nail. So that's they right. start to have to man roadblocks at one point. First, they try shooting warning <laughs> sure. shots yeah. and someone panics and, and, and shoots into the car. Then they try shooting smoke grenades and the smoke <laughs> grenade bounces off the pavement, hits an Iraqi in the back of the head and kills him. They can't yes. not murder.
2: That's right. That's right. You're reminding me. <laughs> Of One of the things I loved about the show was the amount of times they were trying to limit civilian casualties and then a fucking F-15 fighter jet <laughs> would roll over and just carpet bomb the area and they'd be like,
1: fuck! <laughs> 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 yeah.
2: That shit was... Really good,
1: like critique-wise, not murder-wise. And you can understand why all the soldiers in it were disillusioned and not having a good time. Because probably they got into it because they're like, I want to be able to play with the most badass weapons the most deadliest technologically advanced playthings. i mean that was what the entire cold war set us up to think that we were all going to be able to do and then they get there and it's like yeah you can't uh use any of this stuff sorry right
2: because by the time you get there we have fucking planes and drones that have already killed the guys most of this show is them driving into an area and all the guys are already dead Most of the show is dead Iraqis and people going, oh, man, I didn't get to kill one of them. (laughs) Which is a great critique, in my opinion. And
0: bumbling around in confusion. There's a scene where Mm -hmm. they get shot at by other Marines. There's like a friendly fire scene. There's a scene where they're trying to do their job. They're quietly watching a little Hamlet. They're reporting on their little radios being good little soldiers. It's like, oh, four women and three children. And then just artillery just levels
1: this place. In that way, it is very much like The Wire. It's like a bunch of Hurricane Carves. It's like, oh, man, we got into this because... We thought that we were going to go get to beat up bad guys with nightsticks. And it's like, no, no, most of this job is just sitting in a car and being super fucking bored. Sorry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And the show, the way it plays the dead Iraqis in it, I thought was another thing in the plus column where it is as unemotional about it as they are. You know, it's like one of the things I loved about Saving Private Ryan when I first saw it. I was like, this is the first war movie I've seen where the main character doesn't like die in slow motion Mm -hmm. and there's not big dramatic score happening. And this is like that taken to the fucking nth degree Mm -hmm. where the amount of casual death of children and civilians and Iraqi soldiers it's just kind of window dressing it's just part of the background and it's not the focus of the show the focus of the show is maybe a couple guys trying to not do that mm-hmm. but it's mostly them just kind of casually waltzing over dead Yeah, that was a good
3: critique, I thought, because I was genuinely
2: impressed, especially
3: after they already get to like pop their cherry and shoot some Mm -hmm. people. In the latter half of the episodes, you get to see a lot of genuine empathy from most of the soldiers. They're sharing their rations. They're helping old ladies cross the street. They genuinely do feel for these people. And I think one of the critiques of the show was saying that, like, even if your soldiers behave like this, you're not going to win hearts and minds because you've destroyed the electrical infrastructure. You've <laughs> right. destroyed the plumbing. You've created a refugee problem.
1: Yeah. Even the petty stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just taking a shit in their front yard. basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. You
3: can't avoid that. The sh- your soldiers are going to have to shit in their front lawns, even yeah. if they're smiling and cheery and waving. Fucking they're still shitting like in their front stealing lawns.
0: Stealing small belongings from them, like packs of cigarettes or whatever. Right.
3: There is no way to win hearts and minds while also taking over a country. It's an impossible goal.
2: And showing how ill prepared we were in the run up and subsequent invasion of Iraq. Just the amount of waste and the amount of like forgetting. They are all wearing jungle camo for for, like the whole show. I think they're wearing the wrong camo except for the journalist who bought his on like fucking
1: Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Which is crazy because we were saying... Why are you hitting yourself for like 15 months before we actually invaded? It was the most telegraphed invasion of all time. If you weren't prepared for that invasion, like what are you prepared for?
2: Well, they were prepared for one thing. It was the, they were prepared for the propaganda strategy. That was what the entire... Yeah intelligence state and military industrial comp and political infrastructure was all based on the media strategy. And that's such a perfect thing for the early two thousands. Cause everything is media strategy mm-hmm. back then. And now it's still to this day, for sure. Every soldier is just a media obsessed child whose entire lifestyle is based on what music they consume, what shows they watch. And So was uh, everyone else at the time. Just how are we going to get into this war? A lot of TV shows about it. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the point about media and optics is so correct. There's a soldier who literally films something on a camcorder. And that's not something David Simon invented. That's in the book, too. The, like, camcorder Mm -hmm. soldier who's like, I'm going to film my own war. At the end of the show, when this highly trained hunter-killer recon unit has to start doing street patrols like they're cops... Even then, they're complaining about the fact that they do one patrol in one neighborhood per day at daytime, not in the night when there's looting, because it's just, Mm -hmm. we need to look like we're doing this in good faith. We need to look like we're doing a good faith occupation.
2: Right. And we need to do it when the lighting is good for (laughs) everyone to see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we're going to fucking fly a bunch of really nice lights out to Iraq just to film this? Nah. Got to use that sun.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's most of what we got for themes. I want to talk just very briefly about something that irks me about the David Simon style. And then we can wrap up. David Simon loves acronyms too much. This is like you said, he's (laughs) realistic to a fault. I was Googling things as I watched this show. Because I watched the first episode i started reading the book and i was like mm-hmm. oh okay i get it now and then i watched the rest of it but still this is like you know we're oscar mike we're on the move A O. I was gonna ask
2: can you tell me uh, like i was trying to reverse cockney oscar mike Ooh, okay.
1: and I, I couldn't figure it out Riding <laughs> what we're riding a bike no i don't need yeah, it uh, yeah oscar
2: <laughs> mike uh yeah are we riding but like uh o.m out mm-hmm. of uh, on on the move. Yes. Yeah. I mean, oh, I got it.
1: Yeah. I think in order to have a show where the acronyms didn't become like a soup, it would have to be incredibly unrealistic because that is very basic military stuff. Like any yeah. any military thing, it's like yeah, they talk in complete jargon ninety percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
3: You guys have used on your show the drop of Michael Scott talking about The Wire, where he's like, I don't understand any of it, but it's really great. You know, yeah. <laughs> And that's how yes. this felt sometimes, especially in the beginning, where, yeah, David Simon just puts you in that universe with people talking the way they would actually speak. And you yes. are left like, oh, shit, I better turn the subtitles on or pull up Wikipedia or something.
2: Yeah, I would say it's one of his faults for just like a regular TV watching person. It's one of his faults because... There's only so much throwing you in the deep end that a, a show can do before yeah. you're like, you're alienating such a yeah. huge also, portion of the audience. You
1: have an embedded journalist character in the show. Like, have <laughs> yeah. him ask a few questions. Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. hard. Like, this is the whole point of having this character. Yeah. And when
2: he does finally ask the questions, we have to wait two episodes for them to explain Whopper Jr. to us. <laughs> yeah. and I'll be honest.
1: I tried to watch We Own This City mm-hmm. multiple times. I've never not fallen asleep during it. It's so dense with characters (laughs) and shit. And I even read the book and the books like that too. So like I understand, but goddamn, it was was fascinating. But trying to keep all of the characters in that show straight is impossible for me. I
0: haven't watched The Wire in about 10 years now. And when I threw this on, I was like, oh, hello, old friend. I remember this.
1: (laughs) Military
3: people do love this show, though. I spoke to yes. a couple friends who were in the Marines and they were like, this was required viewing for everybody yes. because... It portrays the life so well. It's like why if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you love waiting. Yeah. You just love to see like I an accurate say the bear. portrayal. The bear. <laughs> the <laughs> I the haven't bear. seen the bear.
2: But, but, not, but waiting. Is that the one with Dane Cook? <laughs> yep. Yeah. That is the one with okay. Dane Cook. Floyd. Dude, that's I was back when I was like, that guy's going to make it, man.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he did make it. Dude. We actually did an episode on Dane Cook. Dude, I was obsessed with
2: Dane Cook. I know. I, in I high saw school. him live. I'm so ashamed me of too, it. Me too. Me
3: too. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I saw him live. I fucking, I went to the laugh factory to see his ass. I was just like, this guy is going <laughs> to be huge. And he became huge. And then everyone was like, he sucks. And I was like, I mean, yeah, if you know other comedians. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if yeah. you only know the one guy, then this is like the funniest guy you have ever fucking seen.
1: I feel like one thing yeah. that comes up in my life a lot is the sort of controversy about Dane Cook stealing Louis C.K. bits. Ugh. Like, I couldn't find the actual quote, but I feel like Louis C.K. said something like, yeah, I could have gone after him over that, but I didn't want to be like, known forever as, like, the guy who made a federal case out of the itchy asshole bit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I feel like that's every professional frustration I've had, where it's like, yeah, I could have like grandstanded over that, but I didn't want to be the guy. Everything in my job is is like its own is asshole bit <laughs> so was like, yeah i didn't want to forever be known for like that controversy or rage quitting over something that asinine because that's like yeah. all it is also yeah.
2: him stealing material is the least of his fucking problems sure <laughs> yeah yeah are you aware of his child bride oh yes I'm aware of a lot when it comes to that fucking creepo but <laughs> i mean beyond that i just hate the general critique of Oh, joke stealing. And it's just like, dude, all these fucking comics out here, there are certain people who definitely stole jokes.
1: The Mencia thing became a thing because it was very clearly he did it blatantly and as a troll and admitted it basically yeah,
2: yeah and so that became kind of like a oh i bet there's a lot more where that came from and then now the rest of it is just people getting called out for telling street jokes and being like that you stole that joke from this other person and it's like or no, just that having pers-
1: a bit with the same premise is like right exactly you know that so-and-so has a bit about how sucking dick is actually good and it's like yeah yeah i know i'm not the first guy to ever come up with a, right a exactly that like yeah
2: Anyways, Generation Kill. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah. right. No, I mean, you can't
3: not talk about him. It's my personal favorite episode of Our Own Pod is the Dane Cook listen-along episode where we just listen to one of his albums and break down the logic behind every joke.
2: Oh, I love that. What? Which album was it? The Double second album. album. Because the yeah, first yeah, album, yeah. he clearly was
3: working out at open mics over like 10 years.
2: Yeah, the first album is great the first album is is uh, uh that's harmful uh, uh, when swallowed. swallowed yeah that was great and then the second one was just like him being like okay people really like when i say face funny
3: yep. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i gonna do that a lot <laughs>
3: we kept referring to him as like a spoken word poet because he's yes. just a cadence you know yes. yeah well, generation was, kill i love that show because yeah. I love singing. I love singing in
1: cars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what describes a lot of people. Like that was Chris D'Elia's thing. Chris Delia did like yeah. zero zero joke. You would not remember a single laugh line, but it was just right. like different but inflections. He would murder. Yeah, and he would destroy. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. you were there, you were like This is funny, I don't know why. It's just yeah, the way yeah. he sounds the word
3: Also a child bride guy. But, I, again uh, I was gonna oh, say yeah.
1: that was oh, actually oh, yeah. a, that's what I was what I was going towards. It's like anytime you see a comedian posting videos of themselves working out you're like oh this is bad Like it's always, <laughs> it always ends in a weird like child bride situation
2: you know why it's bad though it's because the comedy alone is already that's already that's enough to like attract like yeah. people yeah you but if you're p- so horny yourself, it's that you also need Yes, it's a hat on hat. If you're so horny, you also need to have workout videos. It's like you're horny in a weird way, dog. Like you're, you're, whatever you're not getting at these 18 and over, 21 and over bars and clubs, uh, you're trying to pick up the rest on Instagram. And that's how I know you're a fucking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> all
3: right i'm gonna force us back into generation kill here because we've uh, been uh, over an hour now
0: one stylistic touch that i fucking love is that there is no music in this show mm. there's no background yeah.
2: music yeah
0: matt you were it's saying like no music swells no triumphant yeah. whatever all you hear is them singing in the humvee as it goes around singing off yes. key pop tunes avril lavigne boys in the hood yeah
2: and they're all parody songs Mm -hmm. which for me tugs on my personal heartstrings because i i I love a parody song Mm -hmm. so they're all just doing army versions of avril lavigne songs which is fucking i think it's great
1: And the last is... third of a joke that you didn't hear the first two. Right. Of. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> love that shit. And it's all really esoteric, too, because you have to know mm-hmm. army and marine fucking jargon in order to understand what the parody of the Avril Lavigne song's about. And again, for me, I love it.
0: And I think even in terms of how it characterizes them, it made me think of Full Metal Jacket that final yeah. scene is them they're so blase and you know dehumanized or whatever that they sing the Mickey Mouse theme song after they've shot a girl in the head and yeah. these guys in an active war zone are like man it's a road trip with the boys there was a small part of me that was like man being in the Marine seems awesome work out with your friends oh, yeah. don't get oh, yeah. killed
1: road mm-hmm. trip like what's what's bad yeah. here there's definitely we no one in HR telling you that you can't say a certain thing that's for
3: sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well being a podcaster is a lot like being a Marine Mean. You know, you have yeah, a lot same of gear. Thing. You say a lot of slurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to wake up early sometimes if you're with someone on in Europe.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it is true. It's a, it's basically the same and the same level of danger. You know, the bullets <laughs> that we have to dodge are rhetorical. You know, cancel bullets yeah. mm-hmm. like people trying to same cancel level us. of heroism. Obviously. Same thing, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the it's institutions a... are flawed, but the podcasters on the ground are doing the right <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, they're it's doing. The bosses, work. they won't let That's us, us right sing. Yeah. You know? yeah. The bosses like Spotify won't let us <laughs> talk more about Call of It, Generation Kill.
3: Yeah, spend. Is, was there anything else here? I think there's some great gallows humor
0: in this thing, which is mm-hmm. part of the book. Which is how do these guys deal with their extreme circumstances? They do it with their nihilistic humor, which I think comes through in the show, both in what they say, but even some of the almost Looney Tunes style destruction that you see in the show. Mm-hmm kind of gets across the yeah how do you, how do you deal with the unimaginable in terms of the scale of death and destruction as you try and get through it with some gallows humor which i think mm-hmm. they managed to really capture
2: and it makes sense that the show didn't really catch on too because i feel like you said this show came out 2008 yeah because for as much as people love the wire. I feel like the wire didn't
1: catch on. No, it didn't. It famously
2: didn't. It didn't catch on until later, until the the run ended essentially. And I was thinking about what else was David Simon doing at this time, and I was like, "Treme," Ooh. right? Didn't that come out at the around the same time?
1: Yeah.
0: I have not watched it. I only know it as a punchline to a Thirty Rock joke.
1: <laughs> yes. So Treme, I tried to watch it a few times and I was like, yeah,
2: not for me. I forced myself to watch it and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love parts of it. There are parts of it that are fucking amazing. And then there are two or three different characters whose storylines we follow throughout the entire four or five season run that are just so shitty and boring that And I never do this. I was like, I'm going to fast forward through these scenes. I don't care. I just don't care. (laughs) And here's the thing. You can only really listen to New Orleans jazz for a little bit before it starts driving you insane. (laughs) So it's for such a small slice of people. It's like four people who live in New Orleans (laughs) and are like, I personally know that guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Unless uh, I
0: have like a hurricane or some obnoxious New Orleans drink in my hand, mm -hmm. the threshold for New Orleans jazz I will tolerate is quite low.
2: Yeah, so it makes sense that this show didn't catch on because I feel like the problem with a lot of David Simon shows is that there is a learning curve where he builds stories very slowly. But once they start to go, you really get aboard the train. The momentum drives the rest of it.
1: I think there's also the basic fact that his realism keeps him from making shows that are sexy and aspirational, and I think anything that becomes a big hit instantly, I mean, even Succession, like, yeah, it's critical in some ways, but People have made the point that the characters in succession dress the way that we imagine rich people to, where they're (laughs) wearing designer shit and they're sort of fashionable and they're still evil in in a realistic way. But it is aspirational that they're sort of glamorous, whereas Billions, that's probably more how actual rich people dress, where they're just wearing like a fucking black T-shirt and the Patagonia vest. They're all dressed like boring dads, and that's probably more... Realistic. David Simon is very much like the characters are going to dress like civil servants in Baltimore or like actual fucking marines they're gonna look like the fashion was two years ago like no one's looking at that and being like "Ooh, what's this hot cool new show because mm-hmm. the people are gonna be like, dowdy and realistic to a fault and that's kind of like true of all of his shows yeah except for like, the deuce which he gets away with in that one because it's like this is a period piece so mm-hmm. like they get to yeah. look cool like cool 70s people
2: i just rewatched the deuce and i actually i highly suggest trying again jordan or Sorry, Giordano <laughs> Can I call you Jordan?
1: <laughs> <laughs> sure I just,
2: Giordano, is there, there you Are you Italian? I am, yeah Oh, uh, so is Vince I Listen, I like I said, I like it If you
3: ask me, like, what do you think of the deuce? I would just lie and be like, oh my god, it was so good Because, like, yeah. I do love those first two seasons I just, found, maybe I was just watching it with annoying people Who kept talking during it
2: Yeah, try it again, because the first time I saw it I kind of felt similarly And Vince kept saying, oh man, it's the fucking best And I was like, it's okay, I don't really remember much of it then i rewatched it and i realized that it is i think david simon's best show outside of the wire because it's like he learned
1: hey what if we made it like a you know a tv show <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and Yeah, this so it's gonna be a realistic it, depiction of porn and, and Times square but james franco playing his own twin why not let's do it yeah that. yeah true okay
0: as soon as I heard that, I was I'm like I'm not watching a twin show. I'm not. Yeah, no, really. no, yeah, yeah. It
1: was a risk,
2: and I think uh, they suffered for it. But it is a good. <laughs> he, it, James Franco kills it in
1: the show. Maggie Gyllenhaal is so it's fantastic good
2: in that show. It's ridiculous. She's so good, and also it's got mafia guys, but they're like. They're they're really nice
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's got Jackie Aprile He's a mafia guy in it too, right? Um, Yeah,
1: yeah Uh, Wait, does it have Jackie? (laughs) Yeah, the mafia guys are like Hey, you know, you're you're really doing some dumb shit And uh, we don't want to have to kill you But, like, you're kind of, like, forcing my hand here
2: That's right
1: (laughs) It's the developers that are the bad guys Right, yeah, exactly It's like a nice, another twist on the wire
2: Right, and they're kind of At every moment where you think, oh, this is going to be about don't get mixed in with the mob, they end up being like, ah, it's okay, dead forgiven. And I'm like, cool, these guys are cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to be friends with these guys. Anyways, happy mob guys. That's my shit. But yeah, this is a show where this is on the Far, far end of the verisimilitude spectrum for David Simon. A few notches more, and you get Show Me a Hero, where you got the verisimilitude, but the story is much more engaging. And then you got the, you know, the wire, and or and then is in there somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, po- point is, too much verisimilitude ends up making a uh, boring yeah, show. And
3: I think that's a good place to end it, because I think that is a nice conclusion about the episode as a whole, just that he, he was just realistically portraying something that, you know, sometimes when you make things too realistic, it's too much like real life and not enough like TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um,
2: I understand it's not TV, it's HBO, but make it <laughs> more TV, a little less HBO. You know what I mean?
0: Listener, if you know any youngins who don't think the Iraq war was bad somehow, <laughs> send them this show. Tell yeah. them it's a documentary. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that's the other thing about the lack of Iraq War is bad movies and music from the time is that all of it feels so obvious now Mm -hmm. that you go like, well, why would I watch Generation Kill why would I watch a show? Uh, you know, I, I get it. At the end, they're going to be like, well, this was stupid. Why did we do this? D- it feels like you're not going to learn nothing from it. And uh, it's the same reason I listened to the song American Idiot or, you know, BYOB. La, 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 and I cringe a little because I'm like, yeah. I, you didn't need to bring metaphors to this one. It was right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know. <laughs> we all know. Yeah. Who doesn't know? Yeah. You know?
0: I'm, I'm going to make one prediction for the future. Guy Ritchie mm. just had a war on terror movie come out that I saw trailers for Jake Gyllenhaal plays some American super soldier Navy SEAL type who needs to go back and save the Afghan interpreter who saved his life Sick. This is Guy yeah. Ritchie and Englishman doing this, and I, hell yeah, I think I'm not like I I don't know what the odds are. I don't know how high they are, but I think there might be a chance that we might get this type of movie now that it's over, over like the Rambo two style movie of like we're we're gonna go back in our movies and yes. we're gonna we're gonna make up for our mistakes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I
2: love that. Let's retcon the war through some like cool hero worship of awesome guys who yeah. did violence for good. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That, that is probably how we're going to canonize the Iraq war in media in the future. It's just it's all going to be Rambo movies. People, you know, like, I came home to this country. They spit on me. And they that's call why me I'm,
0: Junior Whopper. They call me <laughs> Junior
2: Whopper. <laughs> Even though I'm vegan. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. I think you're right about that. We're not going to do what we do with the Vietnam movies. Where Vietnam is either the centerpiece of American imperialism and whatnot or a background. Mm -hmm. But instead, we're going to just make them about cool guys doing cool shit in a bad situation.
0: Yeah, I think that's all we got in Generation Kill. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show and chatting with it. I had a blast discussing this very, very bleak piece of (laughs) content. Thanks
2: for having us on, man. I'm glad I watched Generation Kill for a reason. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I watched it, you know, and then you guys said it. I was like, oh, good. Now, uh, you know, it wasn't just a waste of time. <laughs> but it was, it was a pretty good show. Everyone watch it.
0: Well, yeah, as I always say, please like, subscribe, give us five stars, all that stuff that I always say. Thanks again to our guests. So go subscribe <laughs> to Pod Yourself a
3: Gun. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And no, you guys are both do. stand-up comedians as well, right? I am. I, yeah, I don't really do stand-up anymore, but I respect yeah. it. We'll check out both, you know, Matt Lieb and Vince Mancini.
2: Check us out. We're on the internet. You can just Google us. Vince Vincemancini.substack.com.
1: We'll That's my uh, newsletter where I'm writing stuff. Yeah, do that.
2: Hell <laughs> yeah. Do
3: it. All right, boys. We're Oscar Mike. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. All right.
1: Life is on contract Your best bet is to stay away Motherfucker It's just one of those